Kia ora, Wellington. It's B-Side Stories on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Stories of the people who make Wellington tick. I'm Laura. I'm Perrine. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Perrine, uh, can you uh, let me know... What, who are we going to learn about today? What are we going to hear about? Okay, we're going to be talking to Sneha Pulapaka about her social enterprise, The Native Loom. More deals, details to come. Oh my gosh, so intriguing. Yep. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I met Sneha when I went to the Festival for the Future a couple of weekends ago and we talked about it and we were all like, oh yeah, I might do a recording on the day and, um, you know, meet some people there. And I got to this festival and it was full of all these mostly young people doing incredible things and... Um, I didn't really feel like pulling out my recorder. I just felt like listening to what was happening and just chilling out a bit. (laughs) Just absorbing the energy. Yes, but I did talk to Sneha and um, meet a few other people that may make their way onto B-sides in the weeks and months to come. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, it sounds like a great event. It was. I mean, you know, I don't say this lightheartedly. I was genuinely inspired. Yay! <laughs> a huckery old woman like me, <laughs> all down in the dumps normally. Right. Kind of. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I just heard a little chuckle next to you. That's a voice we don't normally hear. Oh, mm. yes, we're also joined today in the studio by David Klein. Howdy. It's <laughs> nice to be here. So David has been on the show before. Um, to talk about his tour de science, and now we're trying to get him um, on board as one of our new announcers, presenters, producers, whatever we are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm keen to find out more about whatever you are, however it works. Uh, talk to the people making the town tick. That's perfect. He he already knows the slogan, so he's going yeah. to write it. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> Um, now you, what you were mm-hmm. discussing something before recut. Laura's like, what's going on in the city? What do you want to chat about? And I just was, I have been wondering what is this recut business? I keep on seeing posters for Wellington recut and it's tomorrow and the next day. And it's happened before. I know it's happened before, but I've never known what it is. Uh-huh. And I figured between the four of us in the studio, someone might know what it is. I so. don't, I, this is Laura. I don't know what recut is. This is David. I've seen the posters. I've followed the link. I've gone to the website, <gasps> <laughs> which is really intriguing. It doesn't give you much information. It says go to the Wellington City Council social media accounts. And then you do that. It's like step by step, teasing you along. But as, as best as I can understand, it's uh, a series of pop-up events, musicians, entertainers of various sorts at interesting locations. Interesting do, do locations. You wanna, do you want to hear more? <laughs> have can you've you, got more. Do you have an example of an interesting event? So I think the very first one they did was maybe a month or two ago, and it was a pop-up stage on Cuba Mall uh, outside the body shop, and they had some cool kind of lighting, and and kind of an interesting or odd thing is that it starts at exactly 
like a really specific time. Yes. So, so the next one tomorrow is at 14 minutes past five in the evening. Uh, Which is presumably meaningful to someone somewhere. <laughs> if you know more, get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> the phone's off, going off the hook. <laughs> um, it's quite clever to invite people to invite people to something at an oddly specific time because Wellingtonians have this culture of being just a little bit late to everything. Hands up. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, if you know it's at an odd time, you'll think, oh, this must be a reason for me to be there at 14 minutes past. So I'm going to make sure I'm on time. Mm. This is my theory. Yeah. Could be onto something. Oh, well. So, um, yeah, if anyone hears about it or makes it there... Yeah, and, and the there that, that you would make it to. The next one, I think, is at uh, Kumutoto Plaza, okay. down on the waterfront. Yeah, down by those Kinner sculptures, maybe. Yeah, that's the one, I think. Cool. Brilliant. Anything to add, Sneha? Kia ora. Um, good evening. Um, Welcome to the show. <laughs> just throw you in there, but Hold before on. we do an intro, I thought I would just see if you wanted to add anything on the recut. No, she, she's been nodding actually, along. <laughs> actually, I don't know anything about recut. <laughs> That's okay. Join the club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. You just wanted you you had a hold up. And uh, no, I, I, my hold up was just, hey, who is this uh, okay. new voice? Yes, yes, Introduce yes. our uh, <clears throat> guest in the no, studio. No, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kia ora, Sneha. Um, so, yes, today in the studio we have Sneha Pulapaka, who is the founder and director of a New Zealand-based social enterprise. They work with artisans in India with local, like including New Zealand, environmental goals in mind, and that is the native loom. So kia ora, welcome to the show. Kia ora, um, everyone. Uh, namaste, everyone. Namaste. Um, so this is Neha. Um, thank you, uh, Perrin, uh, Laura and David for having me on the show today. Um, so yes, so native loom, um, we are a Wellington-based social enterprise. Um, and we work with uh, marginal artisan and weaver communities in rural South India. Um, so it's been a, about a year now that we uh, started. So you started it by yourself? Yes, that's right. Yes, and right. you started it a year ago. And what was kind of what drove you to start this? I guess maybe if we could start with what you're doing and then yeah. we could go into what drove you to be like, I want to start this social enterprise. So what what do the Native Loom do? So we um, actually produce uh, eco-friendly textile products. So our concept is to make uh, textile products which are kind to the earth, um, the people who make it, and also for us to use. So uh, that's the real ethos that we have, um, people, planet, and culture. Mm. Um, so what kind of textiles are we talking here? So it's hand-woven fabric. Um, so it's completely hand-woven on a hand loom, which um, is actually made from a wooden shaft. So this is um, a skill that's practiced by um, artisans in uh, rural South Indian communities. Um, and they've been practicing these skills over generations. Um, and uh, they just... Uh, make these uh, beautiful fabrics 
uh, from, they're actually not natural fabrics, using cotton um, and jute. Um, they weave it on the hand loom. Mm. Um, and to me, that's the most sustainable piece of textile um, because it, it involves a, a really labor-intensive process. Um, and, but there's no machine involved anywhere. Right, so it's the loom that comes from this piece of wood. That's right. That's right. Mm. And so what kind of fabrics can you make with that hand loom? So uh, there are different type of weaves that they do. Um, depends on how thick the fabric can be or how fine. So that can be adjusted on the loom when they weave. Um, and so once the fabric is produced, uh, then uh, it's actually naturally dyed if we want to have a dyed fabric. Um, uh, they first dye, dye the yarn and then weave it. Uh, sometimes we also do uh, dye the fabric after the product is finished. So there are two types that you can do mm. because it's all natural dyes. And mm. What kind of natural dyes are we talking? Oh, yeah. So, uh, for example, um, marigold flower petals. Oh, okay. They give you a beautiful amber golden yellow. Uh and then um, indigo, of course. Uh, mm. Yeah. A nice dark, dark bluish, blue, yeah. purpley. That's mm. right. Um, and uh, mango leaves. Um, tamarind. These are some of the ingredients that's actually used um, for preparation of different kind of natural dyes. Okay. What color do those go to? Um, so the tamarind um, is not uh, used alone. It actually gives you a different kind of shade of gray. Uh, when it's combined with uh, iron and uh, jaggery, which is a crude form of sugar, um, unprocessed sugar. Um, so together it gives you gray, black, you know, different shades of gray and black. Um, and mango leaves would obviously give you uh, pale green. Okay. Yeah, something similar to avocado when you use avocado pips. Yeah. Oh, I can't say I've done yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, all kinds of natural dyes. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you've got these different materials from jute and cotton, is Yes, it? that's and right. different levels of weave, yeah. um, fineness of weave. Yes. Then you've got the colours that you can dye them. Yeah, that's and right. what kind of um what's kind of end products are we looking at? So at, uh, at the moment uh, we make um, different kind of tote bags, okay. um, which are... Um, printed with these nat natural dyes using wooden blocks. So that's called block printing mm -hmm. um, uh, as opposed to dyeing. But we also dye the cotton stoles, scarves that we have. So that's also something we have on, um, on our website. Um, the other products are, of course, produce bags, those fruit and veggie bags where you can store your Fresh produce and so um, those kind of mesh bags yeah. that you can see through. Yeah, Good. exactly. Very important in these low plastic lifestyle days. Absolutely, yes, yes. So um, that that was our idea uh, behind having um, that those you know these kind of products. Um, and um, our favorite is the tea bags. So uh, the tea bags are made from organic cotton. And uh, they serve the purpose of if you are a 
travel person or you love camping or outdoor, you just want to have a cup of tea or coffee or anything, then you can just carry a tea bag, which is made from cotton, reuse it like a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of its life cycle, you can just compost it. Right. Yeah. Okay, so no more um, hauling around your heavy teapots. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, that's the idea, to make yeah. it more convenient. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Is that something that, um, did you see other companies doing that idea and were like, yes, or was that? No, actually, um, I didn't see that, but I've, I've personally, I'm a, uh, I love tea, loose leaf tea. Oh, so that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I thought, okay, I'm finding it really difficult to kind of carry my different tea you know um i don't want to carry that and so it's easier and convenient when i've got that and i don't want to take my metal strainer because over a period of time my metal strainer would like i have a hole or something in it and or have become rusty yeah then i need to just you know put it in recycle or something but i can't use it again yeah 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 I also must say there's something very kind of soothing about the way your tea bags looked. So I got to see them at your stall and there's just they have a nice atmosphere about them. Whereas those metal ones I just never quite like it's it's a different atmosphere. I'll just leave it there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Before I start talking mumbo jumbo on <laughs> live radio. <laughs> um Okay, so we've got tea bags, produce bags, and scarves and tote, tote bags. bags. Yes, and there there is a few other things, aren't there? Yeah, that's right. Um, so we we made a um, couple of purses um, out of a different weave of uh, fabric, and so after we made them, we had a pile of um, uh, this huge pile of fabric left, and so we did not want to waste that. So we tried to come up with different ideas, and one of them was we repurposed that um, to make tags for our tea bags, printed them with natural dyes and made it into tags for tea bags. And the others, the ones which were already dyed, um, those ones were repurposed as jewelry, like earrings, um, necklaces. Yeah. Yeah. So we tried to save around 9 kgs of textile fabric by repurposing them into different products. Wow, and so that would otherwise just be rubbish? Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, we also thought about how we are consuming while we are producing because that's one of our ethos, um, to be able to be produce something and also, you know, be mindful of what we do with the waste. Yeah, so Mm. we need to kind of think of that so we're not, even though we are a social enterprise, we're no different. We still have those ethos. Um, that's the that's the main reason we thought, okay, what can we do? Um, and so solution was right in front of us. Mm. And so, yeah, and my lovely artisan women um, made them into beautiful pieces of jewelry. Mm. And so ha- this, yeah, it sounds like a cool um, range of things going on there. What made you want to start this enterprise? Yeah, thank you for that question. (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, no worries. So um, the earliest memory I have of uh, sustainable textiles um, would be from my childhood. So my sister and I, we always wore clothes that my my mom made. 
Um, so she used to repurpose her old her old saris. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, is this growing up in, in India? India? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so repurpose old saris into uh, frocks for us, or um, uh, cloth nappies and quilts. Oh, not a beautiful sari as a nappy. Yeah, 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 they they actually look really good. I bet they do. Yes, you would have been some stylish babies. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's the earliest memory I have, and. I when I was in college, I got crafty as well and tried to repurpose my old dress and by seeing some sequins. So um, there, uh, there was a point when I went uh, when I took a look at the fabric and I felt it's so soft and it did not tarnish over the years. Mm-hmm. It's still intact. It's still the same. I still do have the quilt that my that's made from my mom's saris. Uh, wow. Yeah, and my sister still uses it. So. Yes, um, <laughs> that was enough proof for me to say, oh, okay, uh, I need to know more about how these textiles are made. Um, so I went and visited some uh, artisan and weaver clusters. Um, in, in what, sorry? Some artisan and weaver clusters. clusters so I went and yeah. visited them. Yeah. So um, that's when I kind of uh, learned more about what these people do. And so I realized that um, one, it takes about 10 days for a weaver to weave a sari, which is six yards. So six yards of cloth yeah. takes 10 days. And would that be the size of an average sari? That's or? right. Okay. Yeah. So and that's on a wooden loom and it's entirely done like manually wow. and no machine. So um, and prior to that, the weaver has to kind of uh, source the fabric you know, um, and then dye the yarn, decide the pattern, and then weave it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot of a lot of chemistry, um, yeah. a lot of mathematics because you can't get the design wrong. You have to sit the design and then weave it. So the weaving also um, has a lot of uh, mathematics to it. Yeah, so it's really labor-intensive. Yeah, slow fashion. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's the word. Yeah, and so um, uh, the other thing that I realized when I met these people was um, a lot of these skills are actually passed down generation after generation. Um, unfortunately, not many young people are taking up these skills um, because of uh, urbanization or lack of opportunities. They are not taking up the traditional weaving skills. And they're moving to the cities so that kind of affects um, how the industry is, like the handloom weaving industries. Mm. And um, because it is the second largest industry after agriculture in India. Yeah. Um, so um, these were some of the things uh, that drove me to say, like, there has to be some platform for them because yeah. the traditional weaving, I mean, the indigenous textile weaving are are like colorful, they're vibrant, they're versatile, um, and uh, they have a lot of story behind them. So it's it's really, uh, like, I felt really not, I, I didn't feel so good when I see something, you know, diminish yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, something that's been such a big part of that yeah. culture. And... Exactly, yeah. 
Yeah. So you wanted to, from over in New Zealand, yeah. where you've obviously lived for quite a long time. Yes, yes. <laughs> How long have you been in Wellington? Um, so I've been, I moved to New Zealand five years ago. Yeah. And I've been in Wellington for three years now. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so from here, you thought, I want to support that industry in India. Yep, yeah. Um, and keep that going from Wellington. Yep, that's right. Good. Just yes. not don't accept being cut out geographically. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's one of the challenges um, uh, I do have. But I've I've learned that uh, when you want to really create impact, distance really doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and so you've got this kind of you've got your role in supporting these uh, traditions mm -hmm. and fine fabrics to stay yeah. being created. Um, and there's also, you mentioned about people moving to the city. So yeah. this is, is this partly create, trying to create opportunities and people, so people can stay in their home villages? That's right. Yeah. Because, um, uh, like if people move to the, um, urban cities, they're obviously, you know, there's a lot more carbon footprint in terms of like, you know, you, there's more population there. And so by promoting, um, textile weaving, the idea was to increase uh, employment in rural India, um, especially these uh, artisan and village clusters, because these uh, people have been doing this since generations. And um, they actually um, are at a diminishing stage. Um, and, and the livelihoods of these artisans are dependent on it. Mm. Yeah, so um, especially the handloom industry, um, you will see that the entire family actually involves in production of a textile weaving. Um, so it's it's a family um, sort of, a, you know, business mm -hmm. or, a, yeah, industry, family like industry, you can say. Everyone is involved. So right. everyone learns the skill when they see their parents or their uncles and aunts, uh, how they weave and how they dye. So that's how they're brought up. They yeah. learn those skills right from when they are, I know, young. Yeah, so right, the yeah. family values and community Yay. building as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, okay, forgive me if this is a tangent, yeah. but I remember when I was learning about Indian history and uh -huh. Gandhi and stuff, he had this big thing about promoting the loom, didn't he? That's that was, right. The Khadi <laughs> movement, you call the Khadi movement, yes. Um, so yes, um, so that was the Gandhian philosophy of uh, weaving fabric, um, like you, because we had um, the there was skills, people were skilled. So um, yes, he promoted that. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're um, in a different way, continuing that kind of um, promotion of that as well. Well, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> I, well, no, you say what you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's more about like um, how I can make a difference to these people um, and their livelihoods. Um, because most of the artisan community um, are women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Women are the most part, like uh, almost like 70% are women. Um, but women are, I, uh, you could hardly see the women being master weavers. Uh, the percentage of women being master weavers is less when compared to men. 
Right. Right. So it's it's uh, master weavers are more dominant, like in in like in men. Um, so the other thing was like they share the skills um, with the. Um, I mean, like with with if there's a girl child and a and a boy child, they sk- share do share the skills, but then um, they wouldn't train a, a woman to be a master weaver. Only like the percentage is not such uh, like a big percentage when compared to how they would train a boy to be a master weaver. So yeah. Oh, so are you specifically looking at um, master working with master weavers and? Doing a bit about that imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've got uh, two master weavers who are women um, with whom we work with um, at the Artisan Cluster. Um, and uh, yeah, and I don't think they're any less when compared to yeah, the other master weavers. So um, And they're doing absolutely a great job. Yeah. yeah. How do you get to be um, called a master weaver? Um, I think it's uh, you need to know our different techniques. Uh, of uh, and a lot of experience, yeah. That's the main criteria. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about these women who you're working with, or the people who you're working with, and also the communities that they're living in? Yeah, where they're based. So they're based um, in South India. That's Tamil Nadu um, and Andhra Pradesh. That's okay. on the coastal region, right? Um, coastal region, and uh, so the process is like. We source, I mean, the artisans source the fabric, um, the yarn, uh, I would say, uh, from the farmers directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's no middlemen involved there. They just source it directly from the farmers. The organic cotton comes to them. And then they naturally dye it. Or if it's a white fabric, there's no dyeing. And then it goes to the weaving. Um, so the weavers weave their part. And they send um, the fabric to the, um, you know, the tailoring unit. Um, that's in Tamil Nadu, um, uh, and there are uh, there are lovely women in the uh, tailoring unit who actually make these lovely products. Mm. So yeah, it's about uh, creating that network. So they they have a network of uh, the farming community, the weavers, and the makers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and is it you work with a few different um, in a few different villages and regions? That's yeah. right. That's right. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess I'm <clears throat> I'm wondering how you um, it was through was it through links you said family links that you got to find the people that you were going to work with? That's right. Okay. Yeah, 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 and a few links, and then I visited them personally. Yeah. During my um, trips to India. Yeah. Yeah. And so, do you when you go over? Do you go over often to on these kind of exchange? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. In fact, I I do. We also have a plan to um, get some people if they want to see how these artisan communities are in future. That's one of our plans that we want to do because it's a really different experience altogether. Um, when you actually go and see in person, um, that's when you know, like you hear them. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of encouragement for them in the first place because they see, hey, there's someone here appreciating our work um, because they're really working hard, you know. Um, it takes about, like, as I said, 10 days, as I told you, mm-hmm. to weave um, a six-yard sari. So, yeah, um, in a day, um, if it's not sari, in a day they would be able to weave around... Um, five meters, five and a half meters of 
fabric. So it takes an entire day to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's really hard work. And, um, yeah, they really like it when people come and talk to them right. <laughs> and ask them questions. So, yeah, really, yeah. really good people. Yeah. And what kind of scale are we talking here? How many people are you working with? So, yeah, so um, direct. So we've got like two artisan centers. Um, they have, they, they are, these are big centers, so they have around like 30, 40 weavers. But um, out of them, um, we work with four artisan weavers. Um, and the rest are women from the tailoring unit. So uh, totally, we empower uh, 14 women. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Can you I jump in with a quick question? You said. Uh, um, how long would it take them to produce a tote bag or one of the products that you sell, like a veggie bag? Uh, do those take days and days, or what is that like? So, um, like I said, um, once the fabric um, is ready, um, so the fabric weaving is the big part of, of this. So, um, say if they take about, the weavers take about... Um, like to weave around like 10 meters or 15 meters of fabric they would take about like three or four days and then the women at the tailoring unit they would put in about um uh, because there's nine of them so they would put about um like they can distribute and they would put about uh four and a half or five hours of work mm -hmm. so of, for one category of product yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah we talked at the start, uh, or we mentioned at the start, that you wanted to have local environmental impacts. And so I think, we, yeah, you mentioned that you have products that mean that we have we can use less plastic here, et cetera. Yeah. But you also donate to organisations locally? That's right. So um, that, um, like, I, like I said, um, sustainability, we, we believe in that ethos um, and sustainability is not like a one-off. You have to continue it, and eventually it becomes like a life, li lifestyle. Um, so that is not different, even though um, we are a social enterprise. Um, we still need to be mindful of our consumption. So we try to look at our carbon offsets. Um, we got someone to calculate it, and um, that's why we're trying to uh, reduce our carbon footprint by... Planting native New Zealand trees yeah. here, and we don't. So we have got products that, um, if you buy those products, and um, we will plant native New Zealand trees here in New Zealand. And so we donate to uh, Million Meters Streams Project here in New Million Zealand. Million meters. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. Um, and what do they? What so are they? we so should probably they, get them on the show themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So that's supported by the Sustainable Business Network. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that was a good option for you to yes. kind of share the yeah <clears throat> yeah share the love here, I guess. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, thank you for telling us about this. Before you go, do you have any? Um, if people are interested in seeing what you've got, they could obviously look at your website. That's right. Yes, which we can tell you in a moment. But um, do you have any upcoming? fairs or trade expos coming up? Yeah, yeah. So um, we are going to be in Christchurch um, next week. Okay. Um, on the 14th of August at University of Canterbury um, for the fair trade uh, uh, fair. 
Oh, can I jump in with yeah, one yeah, more question yeah, then? Yeah. So, are you fair trade certified? No. Right. No, I thought that might not. be hard for a smaller organisation yeah, like that. So that's right. You're not fair trade certified, no, but no. you're. Yes, supporting. because we are we are ethical. Um, we make ethical uh, manufacturing, and right. also uh, uh, we have a policy of making sure that our you know whoever we work with, like the manufacturing unit or the artisans, they are. Um, they earn fair living wages, mm-hmm. and also they have safe environment to, environment to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we ensure that. Right. Yes. So you are celebrating Fair Trade Fortnight in yes. Christchurch. And Absolutely. Anything coming up in Wellington? Um, so uh, probably uh, we would be part of the Sustainability Trust markets that's coming uh, before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And we would have a couple of workshops on uh, how to make your own tote bag using block prints. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In a couple of months. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, not wanting to steal any of the <laughs> custom from <laughs> from the artisans and yeah. weavers yeah. in India. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And can you just tell us your website just for people who are listening? Yes. So that's um, www dot um, the native loom L O O M. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Um, and there you are, all by yourself, founding and directing the social enterprise three years into living in Wellington. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, all the best for the Fair Trade Fortnight and beyond. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. Leah. Thank you, Laura, David, and Perrin, for having me on the show. Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs>